Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Speaking of getting things, get out the fishing boat, gas it up, book your tea times. The net season is over, finally. And in the very end, they could not even muster enough heart or grit or guts to even win one playoff game. The team that so many people were hyping to win an NBA championship couldn't even win a single playoff game. And do not come in here and tell me that they were close in all four games. They got swept. They got run out of the postseason without a single win. The team that was supposed to be the last one standing is the first one out. The Lakers barely had time for a few rounds of golf before the Nets joined them. And it was not like Scott Foster and the refs didn't give the Nets a chance. They did everything they could. They did what Brooklyn couldn't do all series. They took Jason Tatum out of the game. And the Celtics still won. But as always, the very best part of the Nets is not what's on the floor. It's what's off it. They are losers on the floor, but there are the 96 Bulls off of it. Man, how about my dude Kyrie Irving? How about the part-timer throwing himself a full-time pity party after the game? People wanted to see us fail at this juncture, you know, picked us as contenders and, you know, have so much to say at this point. So I'm just using using that as fuel for the summer and coming to the season, starting from October and just getting a good start as a team. And, you know, hopefully we don't run into any barriers and we could just start fresh and, uh, you know, be realistic with our own expectations and, and live with our team results rather than, um, you know, being the polarization of, of kind of the media scrum and having our names be dragged, you know, for a series that naturally happens in people's careers, you know? No, no, I don't know. No, you did not. Are you blaming the media for you guys getting swept? Because that's sure as hell what it sounds like. I've said it before, I'll say it again right now. This guy, man, this dude. Are you blaming the media for getting swept? Just when you think that Kyrie cannot get any more Kyrie, he blames the media for the sweep. He blames the media for his team failing to win a single game in the postseason. Except this was not about the media. You and KD got together to win titles. You didn't get together to get swept in the first round. You teamed up because you both know that you're not tough enough to win a title on your own. You both know you're, to quote Charles Barkley, Bus riders. Y'all bus riders. So this is not about the media. It's about you. The media weren't the ones with, quote, caffeine pride before the series, talking about how good it was going to be to play the Celtics without Robert Williams. That was coming from your own locker room. The media didn't do that. You did. But then again, you were barely around your teammates this year, so you probably couldn't tell. And I love the guy who refused to play for most of the season is saying, quote, hopefully we don't run into any barriers. The guy that was gone for a giant chunk of the season 
saying, I hope we don't run into any barriers. Yeah, hopefully no one in this locker room will find a reason to quit on my team. Says the guy who quit on his team. If you're a Nets fan hoping that he would finally actually quit, that he would bounce after this horrific season, keep on hoping because you are stuck with this cat. After the game, he declared his loyalty to a team that he quit on for most of the season. Man, I, I don't really plan on going anywhere. So, you know, this is, uh, like I said, this is added motivation for our franchise to be at the top of the league uh, for the next few years. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Did you just say our franchise is going to be at the top of the league for the next few years? You just got swept out of the first round. But you're going to be on top of the league for the next few years. You're at the bottom of the middle of the league. The Houston Rockets have about as much of a claim to be, quote, at the top of the league for the next few years as you do. But of course, Kyrie wasn't going to stop being Kyrie. He was going to double down on being Kyrie. You see, the part-timer's not just re-signing with the Nets. He's giving himself a promotion. When I say I'm, I'm here with Kev, I think that it really entails us, you know, managing this franchise together alongside Joe and, and Sean. <laughs> this dude... This dude really is the most hilarious guy on the planet. I mean, I hear that, and I don't want the Tibbs laugh. That's not enough. Even the Tibbs laugh will not do that justice. I don't want that laugh. I want all the laughs. Run that back again. Listen to what this guy says. And then, Alvin, you hit that with every freaking laugh you have. When I say I'm, I'm here with Kev, I think that it really entails us you know, managing this franchise together alongside Joe and, and Sean. The part-timer nearly single-handedly derailed that season. And yet now he's promoting himself to co-owner. Joe is the team owner. Sean is the GM. And now Kyrie and Kev are Sean's bosses. The quitter is making himself the owner. Talk about Rich. He's missed more games than he's played as a net. But now he's going to make himself co-owner. Man, I love this guy. I absolutely love this guy. He is so oblivious, so high on his own exhaust that he doesn't see how utterly absurd that is. And how about him carefully editing out Steve Nash from any role in the Nets going forward? Because, of course, he would. Look, I'm not saying Nash has done a great job. But Nash has been handed a crap sandwich of personalities and talent and couldn't make it work. But if you look at that team and you think that Nash is the problem, then your name is probably Kyrie Irving. And the best part about promoting himself to owner is I guarantee if they don't win it all next year, he'll say he had nothing to do with it. 
absolutely nothing. It'll be on his teammates. It'll be on the media. It'll be on anything and anyone except him. So credit to the part-timer. There was almost a brief moment of clarity when he acknowledged that the impact of his choice to not play had a negative impact on the team. Almost. I felt like I was letting the team down at a point where I wasn't able to play. You know, we were trying to exercise every option for me to play, but I, I never wanted to just be about me. All right, first of all, it wasn't that you weren't able to play. You chose not to play. We were trying to exercise every option for me to play. Yeah, every option except the most obvious option. You know, the one that nearly everybody else in the league took. And you want to talk about Rich. Freaking Rich is him saying, I never wanted it to be just about me. That's his quote. I never wanted it to be just about me when all this guy ever does is want everything to be about him. How else do you explain everything that has happened in his career over the past few years and his decision to promote himself to co-owner last night? Yeah, I know. KD, Kyrie, and Ben don't want any of this to stick to them, but it does, and they're never getting over it. One guy's been glossed a bus rider, the other is a part-time player, and a full-time quitter, and the third guy's never even been on the court. Good luck running it back again next year, fellas. I cannot wait to see what that looks like, and I can't wait to hear all the new excuses y'all are going to come up with. I almost wish the Celtics tanked game four just to call Ben's bluff to see if he would suit up. And then when he didn't play game five, then call the bluff again and tank game five too. I mean, to me, what's funnier? How hilarious is it that the two preseason title favorites, the Lakers and the Nets, won a single play-in tournament game between them and zero playoff games? (laughs) Strive for greatness, bus riders! Strive for greatness out here, cuz! Y'all bus riders. Strive for greatness out here, bus riders. Strive for greatness out here, cuz. Y'all bus riders. Hey, guys, let's talk skincare. Seriously. Skincare can be complicated, especially for men who have never had a skincare routine. That's where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Every single box comes with an instruction card that tells you when to use each product, how much to use, and in what order. It is so easy and it's so effective. In fact, let me recommend this. The level one system is the easiest way to get started and it comes with all of the basics that you dudes need to take care of your skin. I'm telling you, for the longest time, I never even cared, but I know that I've got to be in front of a camera every single day, so I've got to take care of my skin. And Tiege Hanley makes it so easy for all of the reasons I mentioned. Listen, have you noticed a difference in the way your skin looks and feels? I have, but don't just take my word for it. Tiege Hanley has over 5,000 5,000 five-star reviews on their website from customers worldwide. And because Tiege Hanley is sponsoring today's episode, they are offering you an amazing deal. Just go to Tiege.com slash Rome and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E 
ge.com slash Rome. An amazing deal. Check it out for yourself and let me know what you think. He is Jay Wright. Jay, it is so good to have you. How are you, Jay? <laughs> you are the best, man. You, you're blowing their heads up, man, and they love it. I love these guys, Jay. I really do. I love these guys. I love you, Jay. See, it feels so strange for me to introduce you as the former head coach at Villanova. How does it feel to hear that, and what have the first few days of retirement been like? Yeah, man, you you got a legendary voice. So when you said it, that one hit me. It really hasn't hit me too much with people. When you just said it, it sounded a little weird. I got to tell you the truth, being uh, introduced like that. But um, the the you know the first couple days, Jim, after we met with the team, it was before we did the press conference. Those two days, telling the team was really really hard, and and um, and then it got out publicly and letting everybody at Villanova know it was really hard i kind of felt like i was letting everybody down um but i i knew i was doing the right thing for the program the future of the program i knew the next year i didn't have i just didn't have it to give them a hundred percent and since kind of the players are good with it the players are all staying everybody's good we got our former assistant cotton neptune in all our coaches are staying everything's in order now i'm starting to wake up in the morning and think like where am i supposed to be who am i supposed to call i never realized i don't have to and it's pretty nice jay wright's joining us jay you said about five or six things there that i want to follow up on if i can but i understand that it's deeply personal and it's confidential but can you share any part of what it was like to have to tell the players or to tell the players the decision you had made what what was that moment like i would imagine that was so difficult and so emotional it was gut-wrenching jim i what we decided to do was um, Patty, my wife Patty and I decided right at the end of the regular season, like this was the right time to do it, and we could get our staff in order. We could get, we knew who the next head coach would be, and when we told the players, we wanted them to know, Kyle's going to be the head coach. The coaches are staying. Everything's good. I know this is like turning your life upside down a little bit, but everything's going to be okay. So, you know, we, we decided at the end of the regular season, but we couldn't say anything because we didn't want to distract the team, and we kept winning until, you know, went all the way to the Final Four. So after the Final Four, we had to execute it, and it took us time. So I was looking at the guys every day, knowing I was going to do this, but I couldn't say anything. Mm. It was terrible. Like, it was stressing me out, really. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I was really getting anxious. And telling them was probably one of the hardest things I've done, and it was just not a good, happy scene. Everybody was down, and, and then the next day, meet with the guys again. They were getting over it a little bit better. Then by like the second day, everybody was good, and, and then it kind of was a relief. Right. Jay Wright joining us. You know, they're young. They're resilient. They bounce back. They're tough. Yeah, they do. You know, Jay, what you said was, I just knew that I couldn't give it 100%. Let me ask you this. Like 90 to 95% of Jay Wright is better than 105% of just about everybody else. I mean, you could have kept on grinding, maybe even coasted a little bit and taken your foot off the gas, and probably nobody would have even noticed. Did you ever give any thought to that? I I did, Jim. you know, our president, our athletic director, the first thing he had said to me was like, hey, 70% of you is better than anybody else. And I said, I, I appreciate that, and, and, and I really do. But one of the things we do, Jim, with our guys is we always say to them, you're either 100% in or you're against us. And we, we have a triangle, and the bottom of the triangle is play hard, and we, te- we tell them we want you to live your life that way, and um, we want you to live hard. 
anything you do, do it with great intensity. And I always felt like I was the guy that brought the most energy to practice. I was the guy that brought the most energy to the game. I brought the most intensity to team meetings. And I didn't have it. I didn't, there were times when I didn't have it this year. And I just felt like I can't – they know, they know, they can tell, and I can't ask them to give 100%, and I know I'm not giving 100%. I just couldn't do that. And, that, and I just didn't want to coach that way. Jay Wright joining us. It's a really honest and candid self-assessment. Jay, what do you think it is? I mean, is it just that you did it for a really long time at a really high level and then maybe it started to dissipate? Or did actually the game change? And there's so many new things right now. NIL, the transfer portal, other changes in the game that maybe made it less attractive. Like, why are you no longer at that same 100% that you've always been at? Yeah, I, I think there's a combination of things. Like, we... We had a run there with COVID. We had the World Cup where I went away for, for 40 days. And then and then, then we had the Olympics. Then we came back. It was a Hall of Fame. And, and I'm sure that had something to do with it. And, you know, the, the difference now, it's, it's a different game with NIL and recruiting is different. And we, we've been pretty good. We haven't been affected by the transfer portal. But I think all of those things and then having been here 21 years, you know, and to be honest, Jim, sometimes I heard myself saying things like, the same thing for 21 years. I'm just getting in my mind. I'm just saying, like, is it just getting old? You know, and I, it, it's it's stale. So I think all of those things combined, and it, you just got to assess. You know, after every game, we, we watch someone say to our guys, the first thing we're going to assess is, did we play harder than our opponents? And and I got to do the same thing. Like, am I working harder than my opponents? And, and I and I I felt like I was looking for times to rest. You know, I was looking for times to take a break during the season, which I'd never done that before. And, and I think the combination of those things impacted that. Jay Wright joining us again. Jay, I appreciate that candid assessment so much. You mentioned Patty. I'm curious, knowing that it was the final time, what did it mean to win the Big East title in Madison Square Garden to you and to Patty? Oh, man. Jim, like we were the only person, people that knew we were doing it. And, and you know, we, we loved New York. We coached in New York for seven years. We had so many friends there. And the New Yorkers have kind of accept, taken us in as kind of semi-New Yorkers. So we love that. And Villanova people love it. And when we won that, like, I still get choked up saying it to you. It was it, – we looked at each other in the corner like, can you freaking believe this? This is unbelievable. Our last time. And no one knew it was our last time. And to be in the garden and go into that, that press conference at Madison Square Garden after a Big East championship – you know, the confetti's coming down, they're playing New York, New York. It was just magical. And going through the NCAA tournament was the same way for both of us because we just enjoyed every moment of it. And it, it was something special. But we, those memories, I think, will always internalize. Jay, it's actually giving me chills to know that the two of you were the only ones who knew and you could share those moments together, especially after all that time of being together and having been through everything together. It must have been absolutely amazing. Jay Wright joining us. Now, Jay, you know, I don't need to tell you, you better than anybody else know that being the guy to follow the guy is not an easy thing to do. So what's it mean to you to know that Kyle Neptune is the new head coach? Well, it, it means the world to us. I, I really appreciate our president, Father Peter, and Mark Jackson, our AD, like trusting me on this and trusting our staff and keeping everybody together. And it is really hard. And I, and I, you know, one of the things we've always tried to talk to our people at Villanova about is, you know, every year we go to the banquet, it's, it's a celebration of this Villanova family, this basketball family's tradition. It's a celebration of all of our commitment, not 
whether we went to a Final Four or won a Big East championship, we always talk about that. And, I, and, and it, it's something special about Villanova that the fans and the alumni, they really respect that our guys graduate at 100% level. They play for the name on the front of their jersey. They compete every night. If, if we can keep that going, and I think Kyle can, we, then we can all accept the results of what the season was, whether it's, you know, second round of the tournament, you know, NIT, Big East Championship, whatever. We can accept it if we keep those core values true. I'm trying to hold on to this conversation, Jay, as long as I can. Jay Wright joining me for a few more moments. Jay, there's so many moments from your career that people are going to remember, but for most, they will remember the bang at the end of the 2016 National <laughs> Championship game. What do you remember about that moment as you look back? <laughs> I, I, I remember, number one, you know, we almost screwed that up because we gave up a three when we weren't supposed to give up a three with 4.7 seconds left. And the guys came over to the huddle and they were all saying attitude, attitude to each other, which is, which is the core of our program, meaning, okay, we screwed that up, but all we can control is our attitude on the next play. And I never knew that I mouthed those words, but I knew, I knew in my head when our team took big shots, I knew in my head I would say bang to myself. And I knew when other teams would take big shots in my head, I would say no way. I, I never knew it. My lips moved when I did that <laughs> until I saw the replay. And our players came in the locker room after getting like, "You're OG, coach. You're OG." I was like, "What are you, what are you talking about?" They're like, "Bang!" And I didn't, I did not know what they were talking about until somebody showed me a replay. Oh, that is the absolute best. Jay Wright joining us. Jay, I'm really curious. Like, I, I ran down the accolades at the top there. There's so many accolades and so many things about your career, but you said what mattered most was not that. It was not the accolades, not the winning. It was being the head coach at Villanova. What did it mean to you to be the head coach at Villanova? How would you put that into words? That's so true. I, You know, I just always felt um, a great pride in being the head coach at Villanova. I grew up, you know, watching – you know, Billy Melchioni and, and Tom Inglesby and Howard Porter and Chris Ford and, and, and you know, Whitey Rigsby and, and John Pannone. And, I, like, it, you know, I grew up in Philly, and, and I watched that team. And, and, and Coach Massimino was my mentor when I got into coaching because Villanova was my favorite team. I was like, all right, who, who's my favorite coach? Well, Coach Massimino is the coach of my favorite team. Let me do it like him. So when I got that spot, I always just felt like, no matter what we did, as long as we're keeping that tradition alive, as long as being, being the coach of Villanova means something, that, that's, that's all I cared about. And, and it just meant so much to me just to, you know, someone say that's, that's the coach of Villanova. I didn't care whether, you know, we went to a Sweet 16 or we lost in the first round. Like, he's the coach of Villanova. That, that, that meant the world to me. And, and, and that's – you know, that's why I've stayed so long. That's why I loved it so much. Mm. Jay Wright joining me for a few more moments. Two last things, Jay, I've got to ask. We talked about how gut-wrenching it was to tell your players that you had made that decision. How gut-wrenching was it to tell my guys Buff, Mook, and Bob Craig? <laughs> and how do those guys feel about the decision? They bust. They, they laughed at me. They bust my chops with no compassion at all. <laughs> They're telling me it's about time. You're getting old. Your golf, you have no excuse that your golf game stinks now. You better be good at There's no compassion. The best. 
they torture me, man. They absolutely torture me. That is the best. I would expect no less of these guys. They're my favorite guys, <laughs> and I still have not met these guys. I, I, so I wonder, now what, Jay? Like you said, I wake up now in the morning, and I'm not really exactly sure what to do. Like, as a result of the lifestyle, there's so many coaches who do not have interest or a life away from basketball. Do you have interest that you're looking forward to exploring, or is step one finding out what those interests are? I, I think it's more – more of the second gym. I, I, you know, like I would, you know, I would sit in church and listen to be at mass and listen to the homily and it would be something that was good for Colin Gillespie. I'd be texting him during church. My wife would yell at me, put the phone down. You know, like everything I did was always about our team. And so I'm, I'm interested in just not being involved in that and being able to just think about, you know, what are, there are other things that interest me. I just never put any time into it. Let me see what that is while I'm helping this transition. All right, so Jay, one last thought. I'm really curious about this because you are a person of great energy and great ambition and achievement and focus. Like, I'm, I'm going to personalize this. I'm at a point in my life where I'm really trying to figure out how to make the next 25 years of my life the best 25 years of my life. And like you, I've had a pretty good run at what I've done. You were yep. the head coach at Villanova for 21 years. They were amazing. So when you think about your next 21, is there a desire and a passion to to make them the best 21, or are you looking kind of to wind down and decompress a bit? No, man. Great, great question. I, I'm, I'm looking. I'm really looking to see um, how how can I be good at being the, the the next guy, like the the older, wiser guy. How can I impact other people and really get the most out of my relationships with with people? Some of the things I, I missed out on, like. You know, going to lunch with, you know, Eric Dixon and and not yelling at him about being in a stance or practicing hard and being focused, but talking to him about life. How do I take that, the skills that I have later in life, which is wisdom and experience, and and be the best I can be and impact people the most? And that's why I got to figure out this year. How do I how do I do that? Well, you got some time to think about that. He is the former head coach at Villanova. Jay, in no way am I prepared to thank you for the relationship and all the interviews and all the great conversations we've had because there's no way I'm going to allow this to be our final conversation. But I do want to congratulate you and tell you what you mean to me and what you've meant to the program. And congrats on everything. But the best is still ahead, Jay. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, man. I I, I just love how you do your job. I love how you research and you know you're so – um, informed about every topic. I, I respect that, man. And uh, you do a great job. Keep it up, buddy. Hey, listen, do you have an account with Coinbase? Or are you thinking of opening one? Cryptocurrency may represent the future of money, and it is one of the most exciting investment opportunities to come around in quite some time. But, but, what about the taxes? Have you thought about that? With an auto crypto IRA, you can trade crypto like Bitcoin and avoid or defer the taxes. Get into investing in crypto, I have, but do it in a tax-advantaged retirement account. Alto's Crypto IRA is the easiest way to get crypto into an IRA. That way you can trade all you want without the tax headache. And you can create an account in only a few minutes and invest with as little as $10. No setup charges and no account fees. And secure trading 24-7 through Alto's integration with Coinbase. So why would you not do this? Open up an Alto Crypto IRA with as little as $10. Just go to altoira.com slash Rome. 
That's A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com slash Rome and start investing in cryptocurrency today. Go to altoira.com slash Rome, altoira.com slash Rome. He's won several hundred games more than I have, and he might have a different take. Let's go to the phones. He's back. He's Ricky in Tampa. Ricky, what's going on? Rome, how are you doing, by the way? Doing great, I always appreciate coach. you giving me a you? little time. And also, you had a real coach on just a few seconds ago. That guy can coach. No question about it. I bet, so, that, I bet that means a lot to him to get your seal of approval. But anyway, Ricky, go ahead. So what do you, what, why are you calling me, and I bet it's something to do with the Nets? Well, I just hate to say it, Rome. I told you. I told you what was going to happen. I mean, exactly what I told you was going to happen, happened. The guy was lost. He was clueless. And at the end of the day, he got swept by the Celtics. And supposedly, when you look at rosters, roster for roster, the Nets roster is unbelievable compared to the Celtics roster. So what other explanation do they have? They made a mistake? No kidding. All right, so essentially what you're saying is, I told you so. I told you so. So if you're the Nets, Ricky, what should they do with Steve Nash? And if you're telling me they should fire Steve Nash, who should they replace him with? Well, we've already talked about that. Unfortunately, (laughs) I'll never get an interview in, in that league for whatever reason. But at the end of the day, there's no question he should be let go. He doesn't know what he's doing there, Rome. It's so obvious. All you got to do is watch him. I've never seen so many, so many guys that have jobs that their assistant coaches get up and they're doing the plays and they're they're talking in the huddle and all this other stuff. Last time I checked, the W's only apply to the head coach. So why would you let your assistant write the plays for you? I mean, I, I don't even understand that. But at the end of the day, he should be let go. There's not even no question about that. So, Ricky, where where are you right now? And bring me back up to date. How many games have you won in your career? 601. So why? 700 professional games, Coach. Okay, 601. Why do you think that you can't get a return call from the NBA? What's going on here? Well, sir, I don't want to get into that. I mean, I I respect you and your show, and I think you're the best in the business. But I, I don't want to say something that I really feel deep inside of my heart as to why. But... I'll just say it like this. I don't, I don't belong to the good old boy club. And at the end of the day, since you don't, since I don't belong to the good old boy club, you know, the chances just get further and further away instead of closer. I mean, you look at the situation in Sacramento right now. I mean, they, they have the same problem. Did you see the list of coaches they're trying to hire over there? They're interviewing for. So I yeah, mean, yeah, I've seen this. How many championships they got all together? So let me ask you, you like put the six... all those coaches together. How many championships they got? So, Zero. Uh, of the 600 wins, like, on what level did you get those wins? They're all pro, sir. All pro. Where have you all coached? All professional games. Uh-huh. All over the world. Uh-huh. Like where? Okay. China, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, the FIBA Americas League, the CBA, the USBL, the WBA, the ABA, the PBL. It's a lot of places, man. A lot yeah, of leagues. I've been a lot all of over countries. The place, you have been. You have been. Are you coaching right now? Pardon me? Are you coaching right now? Am I coaching right now? No. What I do when I'm home, I train and develop guys. Uh-huh. So 
So I guess you could say it's a form of coaching, but I train and develop guys while I'm home. That's what I do while I'm home when I'm not coaching. You're a skills trainer is what you are, among other things. Correct. Oh, I love developing players. I love it. My man, how, Ricky, I how wish long? I had a chance to develop Ben Simmons. I'll tell you that. What would you do? What's your read on Ben Simmons, and what would you do with him? The thing is, though. And what do you make Ron, of his situation? He, what do you make of his situation? If you do not call it ridiculous once, Ricky, I'm going to have a problem. Here's what I'm going to tell you, Rome. And I, I don't, I don't want to point fingers, but this is what I believe. This is my, my point of view. The kid never should have left Philadelphia. In all honesty, Doc Rivers should have dealt with that situation in a different way, especially being in the league as long as he has and seeing as many players as he has. Okay? As a coach, your job is to develop the players that you have and implement an offense and a defense that is effective to winning games and competing at the highest level, especially in the NBA. That is so easy to do in the NBA because you have so many superior athletes. Okay? The guys that just beat uh, the Nets supposedly are not as good as the Nets, yet they were. Well, Why? They're, well, they're because a better they're team, for one thing. Being... They're a better team. They might not have better individual correct. talent, but they're that a better team. Correct. Let me ask you, so just leave me with this thought, Ricky. And you and I, believe me, you, you and I have had a longer conversation than I would ever have with any other caller. If you had one word to describe the Ben Simmons situation, what would it be? You see me I know working, you're looking don't for it, Rome, so you I'm going to give it to you. It's ridiculous, sir. It is ridiculous, sir. My man, rack him. All right, Ricky, I appreciate you. Corey in Tampa. What's going on, Corey? How are you? Oh, I'm real well, Jim. How are you? Great. Hey, actually, I, I was calling. I played for Ricky down here in Tampa for several years in the uh, FPL, Florida Professional League. We were the uh, Tampa Bay Turtlenecks. The and, Tampa uh, great, Bay Turtlenecks, huh? Right, right. We had a great squad. Ricky, <laughs> he actually had a great sense of humor. We would uh, roll out into warm-ups with uh, turtlenecks on, mock turtlenecks. And uh, six of the guys on our team were from Europe. So, uh, actually, half of us were wearing uh, two turtlenecks while we were. That's not a good No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. The Tampa Bay Turtlenecks, what, the Jacksonville genitalia didn't want any of that? The Tallahassee testicles, were they in the same league? Hey, let me ask you something, Corey. I'll bet the biggest rivals that you guys had in that league were the Sarasota Scrotum. You can't play this game. Don't try. Yeah, Corey, because I didn't see that coming from a mile away. I'm looking at my call screen. Plays for Coach Ricky with the Tampa Bay Turtlenecks. Oh, got me, Corey. Didn't see that coming. It's ridiculous, sir. It's ridiculous, Corey. It's ridiculous, Corey. With prices soaring at the pump, Discoverer has your back with cash back. Use Discover to earn 5% cash back at gas stations and Target now through June on up to $1,500 in purchases when you activate. We know every single dollar matters right now, but you can count on us. Get up to $75 cash back this quarter with Discover It card. Limitations to apply and learn more at discover.com slash rewards. Discover.com slash rewards. 
Greg Olson is my guest. Greg, it's good to have you on. How are you? Yeah, it's good to be on again. How's it going? Good to have you back. In fact, let me ask you, it's been a moment or two since you and I have spoken. So how is your family and how are you enjoying this new phase of your life? My family's doing great. I appreciate you asking. It's been a, it's been a fun new stage. You know, I, I've enjoyed, you know, retirement. I, I joke somehow I've found myself now, you know, retired other than in the fall, you know, obviously working with Fox, but I, I'm busier now. I'm just doing a bunch of things that don't pay me any money. You know, I'm coaching <laughs> a million new sports teams. I'm, I'm like running around crazy, but, uh, things are good. The family's good. They enjoy having me around, I think for the most part. And, uh, it's been it's been a good first year of retirement. Uh, I'm laughing at that because there's so much truth in that. Now you're doing now that you retired, you're doing a lot of things that don't pay you. I understand this. Greg Olson joining us. Listen, knowing you though, you're going to attack the opportunity, whatever the opportunity is. And you were setting yourself up to be an analyst, and you set that thing up perfectly. There is a video of a great talk that you gave. And what it is, is it, it talks about the kind of energy that you brought and the guys that around you were better because of the energy that you brought to the huddle every single time. You know, where did that mindset come from and why was it so important to you to bring that energy to make guys around you better? You know, I learned at a young age that, you know, I was never going to really always be the best athlete on the field. You know, especially when I went off to college at Miami, I, I realized very quickly that if I just thought I was going to get by on you know, running fast and being strong and big, that, that my career was, was not going to last very long. I, I realized that I needed to find something else that I could bring to a team, some other edge that I could find that I could close the gap on maybe some guys who were more talented than me or just more physically gifted than I was. And, you know, I just believed that that was a lot of just your approach and how you and what you bring to a huddle and what you bring to a locker room and a team. And, you know, I just – it was something I always believed in. You know, I always believed in – you know, how do I make everyone in the huddle feel more at ease and feel better because I'm in it? And that's not just on game day, right? That's a that's an everyday process in the offseason and the training and how you carry yourself and present yourself to others and relationships. There's so many factors. So I just, I believe wholeheartedly in that. That's the same message that I give my little 10-year-old, you know, baseball team that I coach and my flag football team. You know, that that kind of stuff I feel like these kids can learn at such a young age. And it was something that I was able to build a career on and, I try to pass along that message to, to anybody who will listen because to just survive on, on physical gifts alone in today's day and age is, is a very difficult journey. Some people can do it. Um, I was not one of those people, and approach and mindset and mentality were a big reason why I was able to play as long as I did. Oh, I love that so much. Approach mindset and mentality were the reasons you played as long as you did. I love that. Greg Olson, my guest, really quickly, energy has never meant more to me, the word, just the concept, the word, what it represents, than it means to me right now. But I am curious about this. It seems like some people are wired for it. It seems like some people are built for it. Did it come naturally to you, or did you train yourself in order to generate and produce that energy and do so on a daily basis? I think, I think it's like anything else. I think it's like if you want to run a marathon, you, you got to run, you know, bits and pieces every day and, and you grow that habit and you grow that, you know, that kind of that process that allows you to run 26 miles. You got to start by being able to run one. I think mindset really needs to be trained on a daily basis the same way. You need to, you need to train your body and your brain to get used to training when you're tired, used to going to practice or going to a meetings when you're not feeling good or when you're not at your, you know, you're not at your optimum self. The more you do that consistently, like anything else, the more you kind of build up that callus and you build up that ability to continue to push through when things are hard. So I think energy is trained. I think mindset is trained. I think habits are formed every single day. And, 
you know, we, we have a little phrase we use with our, our youth teams that was something that I learned from an early age playing with my dad and playing for my dad in high schools. You know, how you do everything is how you do some things is how you do everything, right? There's no such thing as this is a little challenge. This is a big challenge. And we're only going to pour our energy into the big stuff. All the little decisions add up into big ones. And the more you get used to doing things the right way every day, typically the bigger things take care of themselves down the road. The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast just broke out on our daily show. That's my side hustle, Greg. These are the types of things we talk about, but you, nobody better so than you are right now. I agree with everything you just said, and it's such a great, great message. Greg Olson's joining us. I'm just jumping around right here. But there's no way you and I are going to talk, and I'm not going to ask you about your son, TJ. Last summer, he underwent a heart transplant. How is he doing right now? Well, I appreciate you asking. He, he's doing so good. He, he's playing baseball. He's back in school. He's getting bigger and stronger. It'll be a year on June 4th. So we're, we're anticipating that, that annual, you know, that first year anniversary. Um, that's a big milestone for heart transplant uh, recipients, getting past that first year you know, your, your chances of rejection and, and all that stuff really, really plummet. So we're, uh, we're, we're really excited and, and happy to, to reach that milestone. And we're just thankful that he's doing as well as he has now, you know, what is it now? 11, almost 11 months um, since transplant. So it's been a, it's been a wild journey. He's been through a lot in his only nine years of life, but uh, he's a great kid. He, he's got a great outlook and uh, we're just thankful for, you know, every day that we've been able to, you know, bring him home and, and live a little bit of a more normal normal life for him. You bet. Greg Olson is joining us. So you've got a podcast, too. And you're really busy. Like we said, we, we do some things that don't pay us as much as other things, but the podcast is so important. You actually had Russell Wilson on recently. You played with him in Seattle. What's it going to be like to see him in Denver? And then how do you like that fit for him? I, I really like the fit. I, I had a chance to call a Denver game last year, and they really be, they we went into it. They were playing Dallas in Dallas, and, and we actually thought it was going to be a pretty lopsided game, but the other way. And then Denver came out, and Bridgewater played great, and you know they got some skill in the secondary. They got some young guys on defense, and then you know he's got a lot of offense off you know weapons offensively that we kind of saw glimpses of last year firsthand when we called that game, and they ended up blowing out the Cowboys um, on the road. So. Adding Russ, adding adding a guy like that to the you know to the quarterback position on a team that has a lot of young talent pieces around him, I think is pretty interesting. Now that division is tough, right? We all know that division is loaded with not only young quarterbacks but just really good rosters and, and playoff teams. So uh, he's you know that's going to be a big challenge. But you know it's going to be weird seeing him. I, I saw something on Instagram the other day of him wearing a Broncos helmet, throwing in OTAs and whatnot. It just looks weird, right? You just think of Russell Wilson as a Seahawk. It's all. You know, it's all we've ever identified him as. But um, I think he's going to do well. Like you said, I had a chance to talk to him on my podcast, you think, um, a couple weeks back. And, you know, you talk about a guy with a great mindset and a great approach. I got to see it firsthand for my one year up in Seattle. And, you know, he's about as impressive as they come in, in that regard. Yeah, I don't think anybody's better in that regard. Greg Olson joining us. You're working with Bud Light and the Perfect Draft. For those who do not know, what is that all about? Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool campaign. I've been working with them for the last couple of weeks now, leading up to Thursday's draft in in Vegas. Um, if you're if you're able to, you can go to BudLight.com slash Perfect Draft, and if you can pick all 32 draft picks in order accurately, um, Bud Light will pay you 15 million dollars. So it's it's a really cool promotion. I filled I filled out mine. We'll see how we do. I, I think in the world of trades and trade downs, I, I think it's a pretty big challenge. But but nonetheless, it's fun. It gives a lot of intrigue and 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 uh, interest into. Thursday's first round, um, you know, on Thursday night in Vegas. So 
I know I got mine filled out, and it's been a fun program that, that Bud Light's offering um, for its fans, and we'll see how it plays out on Thursday night. Anybody who can pull that off would be the biggest legend ever. Greg, before you go, speaking of legends, I got to ask you about one of my favorite guys ever, ever, Steve Smith Sr. I absolutely love the man. He called you one of his favorite teammates of all time. I love Steve. I love talking to Steve. I always have. What was he like as a teammate? You know, we, we talked earlier about how can you be the guy that when you walked in the huddle, you know, the other 10 guys were happy to see you there. Like, Steve is the epitome of that. On game day, when it's time to go and you know you're going to be in for a battle and you're going to be in for a fight, like, you're hoping Steve Smith is in the huddle on your side. And everything about him, his intensity, his, his competitiveness, just everything about him was was exactly what you wanted in a teammate. You know, he was a guy that was going to go out there and he was going to fight, he was going to claw, he was going to protect his teammates, he was going to throw his body around. He was not the biggest guy, but I'll tell you what, he was pound for pound probably the toughest, most competitive guy I've ever played with potentially. I mean, he was just a really, really unique competitor. And, um, you know, right back at him, he's, he's one of the, the more enjoyable guys that I've had to play with and, and learned a lot about approach and learned a lot about intensity and, and how serious you take you know, your, your, your career and how serious you take what you put on the field and, and what you put on tape. You know, Steve was, was all of that plus some. So he, uh, he was a blast. He was a neighbor of mine. He still lives here in Charlotte. So we bump into each other a decent amount, but uh, he, he was just an unbelievably fierce and, and great competitor and a good teammate. And, um, you know, he was a lot of fun to play with for those years. I love that. A 14-year NFL vet, two-time All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowl selection, Fox NFL analyst, Emmy nominee, and again, appearing courtesy today of Bud Light and the Perfect Draft, he is Greg Olson. Greg, great to get caught up. I really appreciate that visit. Thank you very much. Great conversation, as always. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, clones, what do we want when we're craving protein and we need more energy? I'll tell you what we don't want. Bars, sugary snacks, energy drinks. Nah, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and tasty. It's never tough. So why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. In other words, they take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Kyle Hamilton is my guest. Kyle, it's great to have you on the program. How are you? I'm good, Jim. I appreciate the podcast plug. Yeah, you got it. It's good to have you. I've got one of those. In fact, I've got several. So that's what we do. We reciprocate. Hey, let me ask you this. We're about 48 hours away from the start of the draft. Kyle, have you been able to enjoy the draft evaluation process? Or are you pretty much over it and happy that it's finally done and you're going to find out where you're going to live and where you're going to work? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, you look forward to this since I can remember since I was probably five and to have the opportunity to go to the combine. Um, do all this pre-job training, meet all these new people, visit teams and stuff. It's a blessing. Um, it is long. Um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just ready to get to the team, like you said, and just start playing football. But 
Um, definitely been thankful for the process for sure. Kyle Hamilton's joining us. Now, Kyle, the expectation is you're going to go very high on Thursday night. There's already talk about multiple Pro Bowl trips. I mean, you've been dealing with high expectations for a long, long time. What is that part of it like, and then how do you handle it? Yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, I was around my dad trained professional basketball player. So I was kind of around guys who dealt with this pressure, and they always taught me uh, pressure either bust a pipe or pressure make diamonds. So I'm just trying to make the pressure make diamonds, and uh, I feel like I can do that as long as I keep a level head and just keep grinding. So um, all the outside noise, I mean, that's just comes with the comes with the territory. But I feel like if I just stay focused and lock in, I can I can be really good. You actually used the word I was going to use. There's noise. There's always going to be noise, and it's how you deal with that noise that often determines how well you do. You mentioned your father, Derek. Actually, played pro basketball. Your older brother, Tyler, played basketball at Penn. So I'm curious, what was life like growing up in that household? Yeah, it's it's competitive. It's competitive. It's challenging. Um, my dad, a lot of times, would wake us up before school. Um, say I was about eight. My brother was maybe 12, 13. And we would go to the gym, get shots up at 630 in the morning, shower, and then get ready for school. Um, just little stuff like that from a young age taught us how to work and um, taught us what it was like to have the opportunity to get to college level and let alone professionally. So so having that work ethic uh, from a young age, I feel like my dad instilled that in us. My mom definitely did as well um, in other areas, but uh, definitely helped. Hey, Kyle, I would imagine you reach a point where when you're coming up and, you know, dad's beating your butt, your older brother's beating your butt, and then all of a sudden you blow right by them, and then all of a sudden it's not so cool for them, right? Like Tyler said, <laughs> your natural athletic ability is, quote, sort of annoying. He added that you went out and you played lacrosse for one year just for the hell of it, never touched a lacrosse stick in your life, goes out, makes the team, and actually gets playing time. Tyler also said that when you start playing golf, quote, it's not even pl- fun playing with him. He's so strong, he doesn't even use his driver and then your dad added it's not even fun my question then is when you get to that point in life do you ever consider dialing it back just to make it interesting or is that just not an option for you uh absolutely not especially within my family uh for competing i'm competing to embarrass them and win (laughs) so uh, i will never change that no matter how good or how bad they may be I love that. And that you're coming from a place of love and respect, but I'm in it to embarrass them. And then when you do, how does that feel? (laughs) Does that feel pretty good when you embarrass them? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, they give me some times, too. Um, I will actually say I've never beat my dad one-on-one in basketball, Hmm. given we haven't played in maybe nine years. But I don't think he'll play me again just to say he went out on top, but... Um, no, I think just being a competitive household just helps everybody. When they when everybody gets in a different setting, we are automatically competitive. Hey, Cal, I don't know, Pops, but I'm guessing that's not a coincidence. I think the reason he's not playing you and stopped playing you is he knows how that's going to go, and that's not the way he wants it to go. We're talking to Kyle Hamilton. Let me ask you about Marcus Freeman. He came over from Cincinnati. He was your D coordinator last season. You said there was a moment in camp when the defense made a big play and Coach Kelly was mad, but Freeman huddled the guys up and said, I'm glad he's mad. It means we're doing well or good. What did that moment tell you about him as a coach and as a leader? Uh, I think he's just a very relatable guy, and that, in a sense, is what how like in its essence shows how relatable he is. Um, because obviously, in camp, especially the offense versus defense rivalry is pretty strong, and um, Coach Kelly's more of an offensive coach. Um, nothing against him; that's just who, that's just who he works with the most. Um, but 
So we had a great period, great few periods, and we we're kind of dominating. And then um, offense is having some choice words, and then we huddle up as defense. And Coach Freeman's like, "This is amazing. This is exactly what we want. Like we want them frustrated and everything, and this just gets everybody else juiced up." So um, I think that just symbolizes as a person how he is. Um, he's a great leader and understands the people that he's leading, and I think he's going to do a really good job in Notre Dame. Kyle Hamilton is the co-host of Inside the Garage podcast. He appears today courtesy of Sleep Number, which I will get to momentarily. You know, let me ask you this. Your journey to me is amazing. Like, despite all that natural athletic ability, the story goes that you entered high school at about 5'8", a buck 35. At that point, you probably knew you were going to grow, obviously. But what were you thinking about your athletic future at that point? Yeah, I would, I would say... Um... I would say five eight's a little a little low. Uh, I'll take I'll take by extra I think two inches. I think I was five ten, maybe one thirty five, one forty. Um, but yeah, I mean at that point I had always loved football, um, loved football more than basketball. And but I had a few basketball opportunities, a few basketball offers at that point, and it was looking kind of bleak just because of how much I weighed, how big I was, um, that I wasn't gonna play college football. But my sophomore year I got my first football offer, and then. Immediately, it was all all legs in the football basket, and um, here and now, so I'm glad I made the decision. But I was just waiting for the opportunity. Well, and then you hit six three by the end of your sophomore year, and I would imagine things start to change. I mentioned your podcast. You recently had Jerome Bettis on that podcast. The topic of tackling Bettis came up. You said you'd take your shot, so break that down for me. How would you go about doing that, and how do you think that would go? I think um, I think it'll go well, honestly, for me. Um, and I, if you don't have that confidence going into it, it's not going to end well. Um, but I told him I'm just going to take my shot because hopefully that resonates with him and resonates that I'm not going to back down however big he is. And next time he's running, maybe he'll try to give me a juke or, or something. So honestly, I'm just sacrificing my, the first, the first tackle for my second tackle and so on and so forth. But he had other plans. Um, he said there was only one person that was going to go to the ground. It was not going to be him. So um maybe we'll we'll have to set up an Oklahoma drill or something I think so right and it's one of the <laughs> things I appreciate about you is that you're not going to play it safe on social or on Twitter you're going to let it rip earlier this month you tweeted quote Drake is the best artist ever including MJ LeBron is the best basketball player ever including MJ these are hills I will never come down end of quote now these are strong strong takes which one have you received more pushback on the Drake take or the LeBron take a hundred percent the Drake take. Um, the the older crowd, not calling people old, but the older crowd did not like that, um, uh, the Michael Jackson slander. Um, and I don't think it was slander. I mean, it's, if you said Michael Jackson was a better artist or the best artist ever, I can't I can't argue with it. But, I mean, I, I disagree, but um, I'm, I'm entitled to my own opinion. So I think I think a lot of people did not agree with it. And I caught some heat, but it's kind of funny. Um I just tweeted something and everybody got mad. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of funny, right? Like, <laughs> look, the old heads, I'm one of them. Of course, they're going to go with MJ, just like the old heads are going to go with the other MJ. I get that, too. Let me ask you something really quickly before we talk sleep number. Your family, Tyler and your parents have played a role in how you dealt with NIL opportunities. What was it like to have the entire family involved? And did it feel like an early taste of what the business side of life in the NFL is going to be like? Yeah, I think it was a very small sample size, but at the same time, it's good to get that experience because prior to NIL, guys were just coming into the league brand new. Um, obviously, we weren't allowed to make money on the name in college until recently, but um, 
So throughout the summer, obviously the NIL rule law, whatever it was, got passed in July. So I set all my stuff up in the summer so that during the fall, I'd only have to focus on ball. But yeah, having my family um, working with me on that and keeping everything in-house was awesome. Uh, I mean, I'd rather give them a cut of what we're making than somebody else. But uh, I think it was good. It was good bonding. Um, There's definitely some arguments, but like I said, we're a competitive family. So it is what it is. And you got to trust family. You have to trust family. We don't have to, exactly. but it's nice to know. Listen, you're working with Sleep Number, and I find that interesting. One, it's good to have a relationship like that. But number two, it's so critical, right? The more we learn about rest and recovery, the more we know how critical it is for an athlete, a young athlete, for any athlete. In fact, how big of a role does sleep play in your recovery after workouts? And talk about the work you're doing with them. Yeah, so I partner with Sleep Number throughout this process. And it's been amazing so far. Um, I just thought it was a great opportunity for me to help myself in recovery, especially coming to this level of football. Recovery is huge and quality sleep just helps me to be at my best. So, and at anyone's best, honestly, um, I think sleep is very important. And ever since I got my sleep number 360 smart bed, it's been even better. And uh, to have that good night's rest, um, no matter what the situation is, I've had a ton of stuff running through my mind and then I sleep on my bed and then um, I'm out like a light. So it's, it's very, it's very um, rewarding to have that in the day. Hey, Kyle, quick follow. I think that a lot of people do not sleep well. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of concern. When I was your age, I didn't have that kind of knowledge. So I'm like, I don't need sleep. I don't need sleep. I can go on four <laughs> hours. I can go on five hours. I can go on three hours. Like you, but you're a high level athlete. I'm curious, how many hours a night do you sleep traditionally? Traditionally, I'd say about seven to eight. Yeah. Um, Throughout, I'll actually give you a story though. So throughout my draft process, um, we were training out in, uh, right outside Los Angeles at Proactive and um, we were staying in a hotel. So we were sleeping on a hotel bed for the first, I would say a few weeks. Um, but then uh, I was able to partner with Sleep Number and I got my Sleep Number bed. And prior to um, getting the Sleep Number bed, I was coming up from the East Coast. I was pretty jet lagged. I was, my sleep fluctuated a lot, but after I got the Sleep Number 360 smart bed, I was pretty much eight hours consistently every night and it was awesome felt rested in the morning my man let me tell you something that's how you do it you work in a story to a pitch that was smooth and that was extremely well done i, I appreciate that that was really <laughs> well you. done kyle hamilton former notre dame safety consensus all-american and will be one of the first numbers called appearing courtesy of sleep number kyle great to have you on the show nice to meet you good to have you good luck on thursday and i'll look forward to talking to you again soon thank you jim i appreciate you Good night now!